0: Hey, Cliff, what's going on? Hey, what's going on, Jeff? Well, it's been a while. Um, happy New Year, by the way. Um, curious, how was your how was your New Year celebration?
1: Yeah, Happy New Year to you, too. I think it's been... I, we haven't seen each other since uh, GTM in Nashville. Um, New Year's been good. Uh, you never feel like the rest is restful enough. <laughs> um, but it, it was nice to be able to get away from Slack
0: and LinkedIn for, I don't know, like a week. So... I can tell you? you, I have like a champagne-fueled hangover and still trying to recover from it. <laughs> um, oh man, champagne's like the one thing I won't touch. Oh my God, my head is swirling just because <laughs> I don't know what it is. it might be the bubbles, I just can't, <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, so today I'm joined by Cliff Simon, he's the Chief Revenue Officer of Carabiner Group. For those in the audience who don't know, maybe Cliff, you can give a one-liner to yourself as well as to Carabiner Group.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Hi, Cliff. I've been in go-to-market for about two decades now um, as an individual contributor, director, manager, now in my first C-suite role with uh, Carabiner Group. Um, With Carabiner, we are the leading RevOps as a service agency, um, and we help companies figure out really complex problems.
0: So you're talking about RevOps as a service, and as you're engaging and talking to different companies, who gets it, who doesn't? I'm curious who's saying, oh, I totally get what revenue operations is. And who's saying, I don't know what that is. Can you tell me more?
1: So I I, and I know a lot of the folks that are going to be listening to this are going to be from a SaaS background, right? And in SaaS, a lot of folks get it, even if there is a differing opinion as to what the exact definition of RevOps is. Is it just the revenue functions? You know, is it sales, marketing, CS? Um, that for us, it goes all the way through to finance. Um, partnerships, everything, right? What happens from an entire ecosystem perspective within an organization, and and how things touch the money within that org? Um, but folks outside of as outside of SaaS don't necessarily call it RevOps. A lot of our clients there talk about digital transformation. Okay, it's it's about helping people become more efficient and not necessarily do more with less, but help them focus on the things that actually matter.
0: That's interesting. Digital transformation to me sounds so old because. When I first came out of university, I had worked in uh, at Accenture in management consulting, helping to implement SAP, Oracle at different companies. And we were working with media and entertainment companies, so movie studios. And they were calling it sure. digital transformation back in 2004. So it's very interesting that that terminology still sticks around. I'm curious if you know they're thinking about revenue operations. Are they bringing in folks from inside SaaS to come in and workshop? how that's going to look or are they bringing uh, carabiner group in as an expert? And what, what would that look like?
1: Yeah. So in those situations, when we get brought in, a lot of it is to help them understand that next evolution of the business, right? They, they see what's going on in tech. They want to be able to go after that and, you know, have the sexy toys and um, get the ac- get access to the data, to the insights, but they're not quite sure how to get there yet. And I mean, digital transformations, what everyone outside of SaaS calls it, right? How do I, take my systems? How do I look at the data? How do I dissect that in a meaningful way to then drive action into the business?
0: You know, I was at this conference a couple of years ago, hosted by the Alexander group. And I remember talking to a few folks and one person in this circle, of, you know, we were at this table with a bunch of drinks and they were talking about how they were implementing Salesforce in their business. And they've been around for 25 years. And it just struck me as odd. like you, you don't have Salesforce. What were you using before? And they had a homegrown, you know, yep. homebrew built CRM. And I didn't really understand it at the time. But then I, I remember um, I was talking to another buddy and he also had a homebrew custom built CRM. And I don't know how often you see that.
1: With the older companies, you know, let's say 20, 25 years plus, it's not uncommon. Right, uh, I've seen publicly traded companies that are running without a CRM. They're running off of literal spreadsheets and some legacy SAP system. So those things do exist. And it's far more common than I think folks in tech realize.
0: That's interesting. So with the revenue operations, folks, I'm curious, you know, as chief revenue officer, you've climbed the ranks, IC to leader to, to C-suite. You know, when you put your different hats on, especially as a CRO, you know, what is partnering with revenue operations look like to you?
1: getting the information I need before I need it. So that way it's ready for me to look at so we can go ahead and do the things that we actually need to do. Uh, Whether that's something that I'm doing for Carabiner or that I'm doing for any of our clients, having access to the data is the most important thing. And for me as a C-suite individual to clearly articulate that to the RevOps team and then to give them the resources they need to be able to go out and do that thing that I've asked them to
0: do. So then, you know, as say the CRO, you're looking for information, but then as a salesperson, imagine you're a sales manager and you have your week to week cadences that you have to operate. What are you then looking for from, you know, your revenue operator?
1: Good data hygiene. Uh, I'm looking for like a clean your room report. Um, shifts in sales stages. Um, are we seeing uh, adjustments within the data sets that say these X deals are, at risk or these why deals are more likely to close? How can we make sure that we're moving those in the right direction? Are we multi-threaded enough? Uh, is the buying behavior there and the information that's going back and forth similar enough or better than uh, deals that we've closed in the past? So a uh, bunch of different things on that side, yeah.
0: So I was just thinking about some of the things that you said, they're not that easy to get with, with, a, with a flip of a button, right? Or a flip of a switch. Some of it has to be downloaded, massaged, and then, you know, my, uh, transformed in order to get the data that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, you know, when you when you see that in your clients, you know, what's your normal pitch or, you know, like how can you how can Carabiner help support that?
1: Depends on what the problem is. I mean, for a lot of that kind of stuff, there's a handful of tools that are low cost enough to be able to bring in the door to, to use, or it requires a re-engineering of. You know the, the rules of engagement. What is the appropriate sales and uh sales and lead stage, right? Exit entry criteria. Going back to the basics and making sure that the foundation is set appropriately, because half the time it's not. Uh, the biggest problem by and far is data governance. Uh, data quality is crap because it hasn't been maintained appropriately. And making sure that we go through, uh, whether it's us or the clients going through that and looking at it is. One of the most important things, because if you don't know where you are today, how the heck do you know where you're trying to get to?
0: I always argue in you know the sales operations course that I teach that you can't get to a good forecast until you have a good pipeline management call uh, or pipeline management cadence because garbage in is garbage mm-hmm. out. or pipeline coming into the forecast. Guess what? Your forecast isn't going to be very productive. And it's one of the few things that I think is shared responsibility between sales management and go-to-market operations is the fact that that data needs to conform or meet the bar that you need in order to have a successful forecast call. Um, you know, you, so you're supporting a bunch of different industries. What's one of the industries that you think is super uh, interesting to you? As you started pitching to them, you learned a lot about them and you say, you know, what Go, a lot of go-to-market operations, revenue operations thinking could really, you know, accelerate what you're doing in your space.
1: Oh, man, there's been a handful. Um, the two that I think jump to mind most readily, uh, we've done a lot of work in the collegiate athletic space, and um, that one's been fun just because there has been you know t- the digital transformation side of things. They're stuck in 20 years ago, right? And they're trying to evolve rapidly, especially when you have um, a burgeoning eSports uh, division growing so rapidly. So uh, that one's been fun um as they start to tackle things like the player likeness rights and as they continue to look at trying to monetize from an e-commerce perspective a lot of what they're doing uh what used to all be uh, in-person ticket sales and merchandise sales so i think that one's interesting Um, the other one is the health and life sciences space Um, hospitals and the healthcare system in general is known for being very stodgy and very slow to move and there's a lot of opportunity there to bring fresh thinking and new technology to the fore to help them just
0: make things faster and more efficient. So for those who aren't watching uh, what Cliff's doing here, like uh, the quotation marks around digital transformation, uh, I've supported a number of different industries, either on a fractional basis or just as a, a you know advisor doing some pro bono work. And I always find that some of the industries that are, you know, and it's a bit antiquated, they have older systems, legacy systems that work for them in that time and space when they were first created. But fast forward 20, 30 years, you know, that, that technology tends to be a little slow, it's not integrated, doesn't combine all the data you're looking for. Uh, transportation is one of them. So folks in the freight space, um, whether, mm-hmm. it's, whether it's on containers overseas, or moving off the port through a drayage or over the road. Um, That's one industry. Second is the healthcare space. Very interesting. Even though I've seen a number of digital healthcare trends, um, but there are, you know, when you're working at the national and regional hospital systems, a lot of that stuff is antiquated. You know, my parents worked for uh, Kaiser Permanente for 30 years. And my father was in the uh, records department. In the records department is literally someone going down to the records room, pulling a file, putting it in a cart, going up the elevator, going to the right floor, and then delivering the record to the right room. And that was his job. And nowadays you can probably search all those files. Uh, it's, it's it's you know very different from what it was back then. Yeah, I'd say my wife
1: uh, comes from an orthopedic PA background and same thing, right? Having to get EMRs onboarded at the multiple practices that she was at. And um, yeah, just it's interesting to see how things have moved. But the lack of data still makes it so difficult right? even to get the right data into the right patient's hands at the
0: right time. Yeah. My brother is a Epic consultant, uh, electronic medical records. So that's an interesting space. I think it's a Cerner and, um, Epic Trying to remember, uh, all the different providers in that space. Um, I'm curious about trends, right? So from your position, you're able to see a lot of different trends that are happening out there. I'm curious, you know, what's commoditizing what's still fresh in, you know, quote unquote, go to market operations. Hmm. I think
1: the stuff that's commoditizing is the alpha, right? So what's becoming commoditized is the outbound email piece, right? The sequencer, Uh, I think data is becoming commoditized because everyone seems to be getting it from the same sources. Um, Intent data, I think is very quickly becoming commoditized uh, in in a similar vein Um, as conversational intelligence and AI continue to get better, I think that's gonna become commoditized too. So it's gonna be a matter of how are you able not just to ingest that data, capture that data, but then to drive insights from that data in a way that's more readily available than just having to log into any particular tool um, and getting that served up to, for you on a plate. And then I think that's that's the interesting part is how, how do you, like from a, a development perspective, how do you provide this information to people in a really meaningful way in the moment or time that they need it? Uh, so that way they can use it live on a call or so on and so forth. So I think that'll be really interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I try to think, I'm trying to have these arguments with a couple of folks around, you know, where's the kind of this go-to-market tech space going? I think data is commoditizing quite quickly, right? Like a few years ago, you know, having the ability to scrape websites, have that inform your data. Before, I think some companies used the mechanical Turk, how they built their data sets. And I think that those data sets are quite commoditized, revenue, employee count, industry, you know, DUNS numbers, SIC numbers. Mm-hmm. But I think what's interesting now is there's a cottage of industry of, okay, well, there's more data that we need to get. So technographic information, can we get access into knowing what systems they have in-house? Can our tool implement or integrate into those tech stacks? Uh, and then there's another piece, uh, like I'll give you an example in my own industry. I'm in the climate and ag space. We need to know, you know, what commodities are you sourcing? Where are you sourcing them from? What farming practices are used on site? And then what are the kind of sustainability goals? Do they have to reduce their, you know, scope three emissions by... 20% by 2030, that type of information, I'm not gonna get that from like a Zoom Info, right? I need to go deeper, right? And the way I do it is quite fa- quite frankly, old fashioned. I'm literally downloading PDFs from these brands' websites. I'm reading these documents end to end, and then I'm taking that information and moving it into uh, obviously my CRM. Fast forward that a little bit with some of the tooling that just came out recently, which had GPT, download the PDF, upload it into uh, uh, the LLM, ask a pointed set of questions, get the data I need, and then have it fill out in my CRM. So much faster than, you know, me mm-hmm. you know, until you're reading each file. Um, but that's that's where the game is going. I think the the specialized information is kind of the new alpha, at least in my space. Another one is the UI. I find that the UI, the user experience is still clunky for a lot of my sellers my marketers. Like if you asked your seller, how many tabs do they have open right now? I think they'd have dozens. And to me, that just screams inefficiency, right? Um, mm-hmm. Folks saying, I don't know exactly what tool this is or where it is. I'm not, I'm not saving my team clicks as much as I think I should be.
1: Interesting. As a serial 80 to 100 tab guy. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I, 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 I might have to agree with you there.
0: Yeah, I keep thinking about uh, the, the SDR, right? Uh, think about the SDR five years ago. They oh, gosh. They weren't logging into Salesforce. They were logging into Salesloft or Outreach, and hardly ever did they go into Salesforce. They only went into Salesforce because their manager would ping them and say, hey, your activity is not hitting what you need. Can you check, can you check your activity and make sure I'm looking at the data correctly? That's the only time that I see SDR is going into Salesforce.
1: Hmm. The other interesting trend that I think is going to pop up more and more, uh, given the advent of where AI is now, and then the way SaaS itself is growing, right? We're what, 20, last, last year, two years ago, 2022, we were at 23 25,000 SaaS companies. Last year, it's like 30,000. It's estimated by the end of 2024, we're going to have 73,000 SaaS companies.
0: That's highly specific, but very cool.
1: Which is crazy, uh, but I think what's going to happen—it's much, much harder to be everything for everyone, right? You can't—you can't be a Roman to the Romans and a you know, Thessalonians to the Thessalonians, right? You have to be able to—you um, have to be able to really identify a target ICP. So what I think is going to happen is we're going to have a bunch of very entrepreneurial, creative folks who are going to find very pointed solutions, build a product that solves for. 500k to 2 million in arr worth of revenue and then keep building a a portfolio of those right and it'll be a small team two three people right and you'll have a collection of 15 different products that are only ever meant to be used by a very specific handful of end users
0: to me that screams the pie is growing but sliced even more to a bunch of uh, companies who have lifestyle businesses it also has some poor tensions to the venture capital industries, like how do I fund uh, pretty good growth outcomes? Um, and maybe it's going to be different. You have someone who has five, $2 million businesses with teams of two or three people for each unit. And, and, and in general, it's just a portfolio business. Um, I try, I'm reminded of a couple of businesses which uh, provide some data. I won't name names. But there's a two-person shop that sells technographic information, and they just build a bunch of web scrapers that go into the HTML of a website, scrape the JavaScript tags, look for the specific monikers they need. It could tell you exactly what tool they have. And then they scrape that website every single day, timestamp it into a database, and then track when did that first tag appear in the HTML. And you can then kind of forward, uh, fast forward, we think they're going to renew, assuming they have a one-year contract on this date. And that gives someone a little bit of compelling event, a uh, sales rep, a compelling event to go after, chase after that company. Uh, but that company is run out of two individuals from Eastern Europe, and they're I think they're making like eight million in ARR across the two of them. Um, and maybe you're right. Maybe that is the future.
1: That's some decent average revenue per employee. I would
0: say more than decent. <laughs> well, um, so we're coming to the end of the show. I'm curious. Um, I usually ask a question around like asking, uh, giving yourself early advice, but I kind of want to change it up a little bit to can you find a change or an impact moment where, you know, you've had some sort of transformative effect on those around you? You know, what was the context and ultimately what was the impact? Uh, I guess personally or professionally? I'll take professionally.
1: Okay. Um, I'd say from a client perspective, um, we had a really cool one with the NJCAA. Um, They were never able to, like, articulate their data appropriately. And because of the work we did with them, one of the nice byproducts of that was they were able to finally surface out who their their um, student body was, right? From a demographic perspective and serve that data up to the Department of Education. And they ended up getting millions of dollars in grants um, because they always had a feeling, but unbeknownst to them officially, uh, 70 plus percent of their student body was um, folks either below the poverty line, or uh you know single mothers um or folks in the bipoc community and because of that uh, the federal government was able to open up a bunch of grant funding for them which was really cool to see just like they had all this data but they never had anything to do with it uh, or a way to be able to surface it appropriately so i think that was a really interesting side effect um, of just going through and doing good work
0: i love that i appreciate you sharing that story for those who are listening to the pod i'm curious how, how folks can connect with you
1: yeah, I, the easiest way is to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, and my email is always available too. It's pretty easy. It's cliff at carabinergroup.com. Awesome.
0: Thanks, Cliff. Appreciate you joining the show.
1: All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me.